0: to enter into that and to know that that true about our God, our Creator, our Lord. God, we love you, we thank you for who you are, and we just hope that you are feeling the praise and the glory from what we're doing here in this space today. You are worthy of it and so much more. So, God, we look to you, we glorify you, we love you. We pray this all in your name. folks doing? Welcome to downtown Harbor Church. My name is Adam. I'm the volunteer coordinator here at DHC. Let's just give them a big round of applause this morning for the music, the worship team. Christina, Christian here to my right. What a t- what a job they're doing up here. Just praising the Lord. I, I got nothing to say for the announcements. So I'm having to make some stuff up. So thanks for all they're doing. Put the old Q- up, QR code up on the screen. If you want to connect with us in any way, take out that camera app on your phone. It may or may not work based on the day, but we're giving our best effort here this morning. If you want to connect with us, give us your information, submit a prayer request, volunteer, or give financially, you can do so at that QR code. Speaking of giving, we could not do what we do without your financial support, so thank you. If you want to give, you can do so at that code, which leads you to our website, SoFlowChurch.com or you can in those little silver tins Mm. on the way out. Thanks for being here, everybody. What a week for our lead pastor, John. He's back up on the stage. Take a look at the screen.
1: (coughs) Oh, yeah, thank you. It's good. It's good. Well, welcome, everybody, to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, I want to thank Adam for speaking the last two weeks. It really gave me an opportunity to spend some time doing some long-range planning for you guys. And I have really had a chance to sit down and put a lot of work into the next series and our Christmas series. And I'm just going to say this. If you are somebody who is interested in really kind of working on your relationship with God and and beginning to try to improve the relationships you have with other people, I'm just going to challenge you to make church a priority from now until the end of the year. Because what we've got figured out for you, quite honestly, is some of the the best content that we've done, I think, in the last six years. And so even if you're someone at home and you've kind of just been wondering, is it time to get back in the game? I would just say, make it a priority to be here on a Sunday, just not for the rest of your life, but just for the next eight weeks or so, because I think it can be a game changer for you. But today, we are smack dab in the middle of this series that we're calling Read Between the Lines. And as Adam alluded to last week, there was some disagreement as to what the title of this series should be. I wanted to call it There's More to the Story. That didn't happen. The re- okay, whatever, fine. Not a big deal. I'm not a diva, but you know, when you, well, well. But when you read, be <laughs> you know, some people ask, like, why does why does Christina do the TV and why don't you pull it out, right? It's not because I'm a diva; I just don't know where it goes. So, she, <laughs> if you read between the lines, ipso facto, there's more to the story. Anyway, I'm just saying, what we're doing is we are looking at the parables of Jesus Christ. And a parable, if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a fictional story, fake story, a made-up story that Jesus would create. I don't know if he made them up on the spot or if he thought about it the night before. But these were made-up stories that he would use to teach us real truth. Now, uh, over the course of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was alive for 33 years, uh, but his earthly ministry was only about three, three and a half years. And in that time, he taught roughly 39 parables. There's some debate, one or two theologians are not sure if they're a parable, if they're a real story. But the general consensus is we've got about 39 parables, 39 stories that God used to change us and to change the way that we see the world around us and the people that are in our lives. Now, here's the crazy part about these 39 stories. 30% of them dealt with one topic. Think about that for a second. God, God knew that his time was limited on this earth. I mean, Jesus knew that he was going to die at the age of 33. That was not a surprise. He knew the place, the, the method. He knew that he came to this earth to die. So none of that was a, a shock to him. He knew that he had three and a half years to do everything that he could to pour into the human race. To not only bring us to salvation, but to change our lives. And in that short amount of time, he dedicated 30%, one third, if you will, of all of his parables to one solitary Topic, money. I, I don't know about you, but that—that uh, that is shocking. Just let that sink in that this is the topic that he spoke about most. And when you think about all the issues that we all face in this life, you know, uh, anger, worry, fear, wrestling with unforgiveness. These—I mean, Jesus felt compelled to devote one third of his parables to money and stuff and possessions. Why? Well, Jesus knew something about us that we often don't know about ourselves, and that is that we love money. Now, here's what I know about you. Nobody would agree with this. (laughs) In all my time in ministry, I've never met a person that would go, you know what? No, my problem is mm, money. Just love it. I mean, we'll hesitantly admit that we've got a problem with anger. We might admit that we've got a problem with worry. Okay, right here. But I've never met someone who goes, you know, my problem is money. One, no one says that, but the fact that Jesus devoted 30% of his teaching to money tells me otherwise. So how could we do a series on his parables and ignore 30%? Well, and I know everybody's favorite topics are the ones about money. You always like tell somebody, hey, i got a great church. Why don't you come? And that day they talk about money. Okay. Like, but you're going to hear a parable today that we have never done in the history of DHC that can completely change the way that you view your money, and more importantly, just your possessions, the things in your life. Now, here's what I want you to remember over the next 20, 25 minutes or so, and it's this. God doesn't want your money. Okay, in spite of, you know, what you may have heard on television by some televangelist selling prayer cloths, God doesn't want your money. Okay, in spite of what some other church in your history may have told you, God doesn't want your money based on the scripture and I have access to the same scripture you do what is clear is that God does not want your money he wants your heart because let's be honest I mean if God wanted your money he could just take your money right (laughs) he just snap his fingers and take your life you don't think he could like what is Jesus up there going "Ah, I can't crack John's pin code sorry (laughs) like we're gonna have to you know concoct some story to guilt him okay it's not how it works God doesn't want your money The reason I know that Jesus and God don't want your money is because of something that Jesus told a young man who was incredibly wealthy. Jesus said to him, here, go, sell all your possessions, and give the money to who? The poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. We're going to talk about those heavenly rewards later on. Once you do all that, then I want you to come and follow me. But notice what he didn't say. He, he didn't say to this guy, hey, listen, I want you to go liquidate you know, your 401k. I want you to sell your house, get rid of your car while you're at it, and um, bring me the cash because I want to line my pockets with your cash. I need, a pri- I need a private jet. I need a fancy house. I need a you know, gold Rolex. It didn't happen. He told this guy, sell your stuff and go do something that will make a difference in this world with that. And today we're going to find out how to do just that. Now, this parable we're going to look at today, one that we've never done before, is arguably the most confusing parable that Jesus ever taught. In fact, I kind of wrestled, like, should we do this one? Should we? Because chances are, if you've read the Gospels and you've read this parable, when it was done, you scratched your head. And you go, well, now I, I I thought I knew Jesus, but now I have no clue what I've gotten involved with here. This is very confusing because the analogy is difficult to follow. But if we can grasp it, and by the end of the day, you're going to grasp it. If we can begin to grasp it, it will change your life. And more importantly, it will begin to make an internal impact in somebody else's life. So the parable we're going to look at is the parable of the shrewd manager. We don't often use this word shrewd in kind of our daily vernacular, because it kind of sounds, I mean, I guess it sounds like negative. Sort of sounds like shrew or, or, or whatever. So I looked it up. Shrewd is someone who um, shows sharp powers of judgment. And there's another definition. This next definition, I feel like, was written for this parable. It is the ability, the ability to take advantage of hidden opportunities. That's key. Keep that in mind as we jump into this story that we find in Luke chapter 16, verse 1 and following. It starts off, Jesus told his disciples. All right, let's stop there. You know you got a lot to say when you're stopping in the first four words. The reason disciples is bolded here and blued here is because I want you to realize who Jesus is speaking to, who his audience is. Now, there's other folks kind of listening in, but he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to folks that believe there's a heaven, there's an eternity, that there's more to this life than just this life. And so if you're a Christian in this room, and I know many of you are, he's talking to you. And he tells this story to his disciples. And he goes, there was a rich man whose manager accused of wasting his possession. So this manager is not just a financial consultant. This is like this rich man's man on the ground. He's like the property manager. He's the business manager. He's making sure everything is going smoothly while this rich guy is over, you know, in Tuscany, sipping wine, and eating bruschetta. Right? He's living his good life. This guy's taking care of anything and he gets wind that his, m- his manager is wasting all of his stuff. So he called him in and he asked What is I hear of you? Give me an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Bob, we had a good thing going here, didn't we? You blew it. So today is your last day. I I need you to clean out your desk. I need you to wrap up whatever it is you're kind of working on right now, whatever projects you've got going. I need you to wrap all that up and I need you to turn your keys in at 5 p.m. because you're done. You've been living in my house you got to go at 5 p.m. manager hears this, says to himself, what do I do now? This now is key. What do I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. The reality is setting in on him that this whole thing is coming to an end. He had a good run, but by the end of the day, it's over. And he knows I can't do much else in this world. I mean, I, I can't dig. I can't work construction. I can't work in Publix. I can't go work at a hot. I mean, this is the only thing that I can do. So I better act fast. Because at 5 p.m., I'm going to be jobless and homeless. So he comes up with a plan. I know what I'll do. I got it. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So this is very important. This is like the tie-in that Jesus will use later on. This is the key to understanding the entire parable. Understanding this will help us not get lost in this parable. What this man realizes is that, okay, I have a little bit of time left. I mean, I'm done at 5 p.m. I got a little bit of time. I got a little bit of opportunity. I still have some authority in this job. And so I need to leverage my time and my opportunity to secure my future when it's all done. In other words, when this job is done, when I can't sleep in that house anymore, I gotta do something right now so that other people will welcome me into their houses, and I got a place to stay. So he begins to execute this plan. So he calls in each one of his master's debtors, and he asks the first one, how much do you owe my master? Guy says, well, I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna do you a solid, right? Manager tells him, take your bill, sit down quickly. Why do we gotta do this fast? Just, we don't have much time. Sit down quickly and make it mm, 450. Really? Yes, really. This 50% reduction according to historians, that's like a year and a half of wages this manager has just saved this debtor. And what's implied in this story here is as this guy is leaving, he just looks at the manager and he goes, hey, listen, i got to be honest with you. You saved me. If there's anything I can do, anything, any favor, you name it, then it's yours. And the manager looks at him and goes, okay, I might take you up on that. story continues. Then he asked the second, and uh, how much do you owe? The guy goes, 1,000 bushels of wheat. Okay, take your bill and, uh, I don't know, make it 800. That's two full years of wages. Wow, I can't thank you enough. I mean, my wife and I, we didn't think we'd ever be able to pay back that wheat. If there's anything we can do for you, you name it, and it's yours. All right, I might take you up on that. All day long, one after another, this guy is slashing prices, making friends. It's like crazy Eddie's. Prices are insane, right? But this guy knew something. He's got a little bit of time a little bit of opportunity, and he's going to leverage all of this for his future. So Jesus' audience, his disciples, they hear this, and and maybe you hear it, and you're just like, this guy's like a real slimeball. I mean, this is a, this is a, this master was right to fire him. In fact, when his master finds out what he's been doing all day long, chances are he'll get thrown in jail. I mean, this is tantamount to embezzlement, really. Well, then the master shows up. And the master finds out everything this guy has been doing for the last seven hours with his hard-earned money. And Jesus tells us that the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Huh? Wait, hold on. Jesus, he's commending the the dishonest actions of the... This is confusing. Because, you know, we've been taught then, When you hear one of Jesus' parables, one of the things that you've got to do is you've got to figure out who the characters are. We always know that one of the characters is God, and one of the characters is going to be us. And you've got to figure out, okay, who's God? Who am I? Last week when, when Adam was doing the prodigal son, we know that the father is God. That's an easy one. So who am I? Okay, maybe I'm the prodigal son. Maybe I'm the jealous older brother. Unfortunately, many times, the prodigal son often becomes the jealous brother at some point in his life. So, okay, in this story, Jesus is, is the rich man God? I mean, is God pleased with dishonest behavior? I mean, is this, is this how we're supposed to understand this, Jesus? This is where you can start to get lost. This doesn't make any sense. And the reason it's so different than Jesus' other parables is because in this specific parable, God, is not a part of the story. He's not in this story. The rich man is not God. Jesus has set this parable firmly in the realm of secular business world, where this kind of cutthroat, self-protective, Machiavellian maneuvering, if you will, is commonplace. It's just part of the game. All week long when I was reading this story, the, sort of the, the, the character that I was picturing in my head when I was thinking about this rich man is Bobby Axelrod. I don't know if you watch Billions. Great show. I only know what's going on about half the time. Okay? <laughs> like, my wife will look at me. She goes, Do you understand this? Yeah, got it perfectly. Not a problem. No clue. Okay? But Bobby Axelrod, Axe as you would call him, um, is someone who is far from being a paragon of integrity. I mean, this is just a money guy. There's just, there's, not an I- I- there's no integrity in this guy. In fact, in the season finale that just aired, no spoilers, by the way, Axe looks at someone who had just taken advantage of him through deception, and he commended them. He appreciated their shrewdness, even if it hurt him. And so our rich man in this story looks at the guy and goes, you are one shrewd dude. Wow. Manager goes, you're not mad? I mean, I'm not happy, but I'm impressed. Because look what you did. You, you knew you had a little bit of time left. You knew you had a little bit of opportunity, a little bit of authority, and, and you leveraged it so that you'd have some place to go in the future. You used my money, he would say, to gain friends on the other side. I pictured the disciples hearing this and going, okay, I'm lost. You've lost me, G- okay. So are we supposed to be, are you telling us that we should be dishonest? Is that what you're telling us? What's the practical here, Jesus? Jesus gives them the practical. He says, for the people of this world are far more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are with the people of the light. Remember, like I said, Jesus is talking to Christians here. He's talking to people who believe in heaven. He's talking to folks who believe there is more to this life than just this life. And he is saying the people of this world who care nothing about eternity, who think that this life is all there is, they're way more shrewd than people who actually believe in heaven. Why is that, Jesus? But because they know how to use a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to leverage it for their future here. And you all could learn something from that dishonest manager. What? Jesus, I love you, man, but I am not following you at all. You've lost me. And maybe that's you. Told you it was a confusing one. The analogy is difficult to follow. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna rearrange the pieces of this story to help you see exactly what Jesus is trying to do here. Remember the manager's plan from the beginning. Told you it was important. He said, I know what I'll do so that. Now pay attention to the wording here. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses in essence. I'm going to use what's available to me now with the time that I have left to gain friends later. So when this is all over, they'll welcome me into their houses. Jesus takes this, plays off this, and gives us a command. Here's the command. I tell you, Christians, use worldly wealth, meaning temporary earthly possessions, to gain friends for yourselves. Here it is. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You see the connection now as we kind of juxtaposed it to? The manager was welcomed into earthly homes. Christians will be welcomed into heavenly homes. Not into heaven, but into heavenly homes. Jesus is telling us, actually he's commanding us, he's saying, I want you to figure out, I'm not going to tell you how to do it, I want you to figure out how to use all of your worldly wealth, all of your earthly possessions, your temporary stuff, whatever that might be, so that when you die and when you enter into heaven, because of me dying on the cross, there will be people there who will welcome you into their heavenly homes. It's this idea that one day you're going to get to heaven. Someone's going to walk up to you and go, Hey, you know, John. Hey, John, I'm, I'm, I'm Kevin. Hey, Kevin, do I, know, do I know you? No, 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 you don't know me, but... Uh, I'm here because of you. you what? Yeah, I'm here because of you. I don't understand. Well, do you remember that one time, like 30 or 40 years ago, you opened up your home and you kind of let those kids come over and, and we played and there was a, a woman there named Sarah Holland. A- and she taught us that God loves us and Jesus wants to be our friends forever. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, I feel like I do remember. Yeah, I was one of those kids. I became a Christian because of that. So I just I just wanted to come over, I wanted to thank you for using your home, your temporary stuff, so that I could meet my Heavenly Father. Come on in to my house. I want to welcome you, show you around. Jesus is giving us a profound new way to view our stuff in this parable. He's saying your stuff could be the very thing to introduce somebody else to their Savior. He's showing us that God views all of our temporary earthly possessions, our worldly wealth, as he says it here, our house, our money, our boats, our cars, your video games, your bicycles, whatever you got, anything, he says, he views it as a tool to grow God's kingdom, as a means to impact somebody else's life eternally. That's a new way of thinking. Because I don't know about you, I, you know, you kind of think about your house and you go, well, it's just a house. You look at your car and you go, eh, it's just a car. But what if we began to take Jesus' command here seriously? And we begin to ask, okay, well, how can I use my stuff to build God's kingdom? How can I personally, can't worry about anybody else, but how can I personally break free from the assumption that it's all for my consumption? This idea that anything that comes to me is for me, and how can I begin to use whatever I have to make an eternal impact in the life of somebody else? I've met people who, upon getting a new home, whether it's renting or buying or whatever the case may be, dedicating it to God. Just say, God, this is a, this, having this home is a blessing to me. Thank you. And so I just want to use this house to serve you and other people any way that I can. I mean, I mean if my church needs a place to do a Bible study, done. You got to do a kid's thing, done. Somebody's down on their luck and they need a couch to crash on for a night or a week, done. It's yours, it's theirs. I'm going to use my stuff to serve other people. I've seen people get a new car and just say, you know what, it's nothing fancy, but uh, I'm just going to use this to serve God. I'm going to use it to serve other people. If I can move things, for, you know, help people, give rides, whatever I can do, I'm going to use the, the little stuff that I do have to serve God and serve other people. This new mindset, that Jesus invites us to have, quite frankly, commands us to have, it gives our temporary stuff eternal value. How different would, would life look if we began to view everything we had through the lens of eternity? As Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, when we talk about Building God's kingdom, because we hear that, you know, building God's kingdom here on earth. I think a lot of times the first thing that we think about is, is the tithe, right? You know, Scripture commands that as followers we're supposed to give 10% of what we have to building God's kingdom. But the reality is if, if you've been a, the beneficiary of Jesus' death on that cross, I mean, if you are someone who has said yes to Jesus, that you've been made right with the creator of the universe because of his son's death on that cross, then the tithe, like the 10%, that's just a starting point. Jesus in this parable is going, guys, I want you to use all your stuff. Forget about the 10%. I'm going to use all of your temporary stuff as a tool to impact the lives of other people. And all of a sudden we realize, my gosh, the opportunities are endless. You start looking around your life and you go, how can I use this to serve God? How can I use that to serve God? How can I use this to serve God? How can I use my business to serve God? How can I use my home, my money, my bike, my whatever? God has blessed me with everything that I have, health to wealth to opportunities to family to the air in my lungs. How can I leverage everything that is mine on this planet to serve him? and to serve others. Jesus continues. Whoever can be trusted with very little, and I think that's interesting, can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And I think this is so interesting because, come on, isn't it true we all think we have very little? I don't have much in this world. He says, so, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth who will trust you with true riches uh uh, jesus this sounds like a test i mean this sounds i mean like this sounds like you're saying that if i'm not faithful with the the, the little bit that i have that i'm not going to get a a lot this sounds like someone's checking in on me jesus he continues and if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property who will give you property of your own wait a minute this is a test I mean, what you're, this sounds like God is watching me that to, to see how I handle my stuff, to see if I'm trustworthy. And Jesus would say, yeah, he is. Because your stuff is a tool. And God is watching to see what you're doing with it. I like what Jesus does here. He puts everybody into one category. Despite how we look at other people's stuff and compare what we have to what they have. He kind of says, all right, look, here's the truth. In God's eyes, just so you know, everybody's got a little bit. and Everybody's a little bit is temporary. And everybody's little temporary bit, it's not even your own, it's God's. He gave it to you. It's on loan. You're just a manager. And he's not interested in hearing how much you have. And he's not interested in hearing how little you have. He wants to know what you'll do with what you have. Yeah, but Jesus. You know, I go to church every Sunday. I mean, not every Sunday, but I go like once a month or whatever. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I, 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 I'm a good husband. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a good, I'm a good wife. And Jesus would say, that's great. But here's the thing. Your heart's where your stuff is. And so I'm going to watch... How you manage your stuff, and that's going to tell me how blessed you'll be on the other side. These are those heavenly rewards, that treasure in heaven that he was telling that rich young ruler about. This is a lesson that Jesus teaches all the time, and I'm going to be honest with you, it is one that we don't fully understand. But what Jesus indicates, and and, and and Paul does the same, is that our generosity in this life affects our experience in the next. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. This has nothing to do with salvation, okay? We are saved. We are made right with the creator of this universe when we say yes to Jesus because of what he did on that cross. This has nothing to do with your salvation. This has everything to do with our heavenly rewards. And I would be lying to you if I told you I understood how that works. Nobody really understands it, but according to Scripture, it is real. We will be blessed with things on the other side, opportunities and, and, and things to serve in phenomenal ways. And the more we do now with what we've been given, the more we will be rewarded on the other side. So Jesus wraps up this whole story by saying something famous. And if you've been around church any length of time, you have heard this and here is where this comes from. He looks at them and says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the more original translation of money is this word mammon, which means stuff. It's way bigger than just money. He's saying how you view your stuff is an indicator of who you really serve, Yeesh. That's a sobering thought if you're a Christian. Did you start to examine your spending habits? Start looking at your lease payments, your mortgage payments, take a look at that credit card statement, as you begin to think about your credit card debt, and you start to ask, Who do I really serve? am, Am I just living a life of consumption? Am I seeking first the kingdom of God or am I just building my own kingdom and giving God and others whatever's left at the end of the month? If there's anything left at all. Listen to how it ends. The Pharisees, these are Jewish leaders in the area, who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. You know why they're sneering? Because this made them very uncomfortable. And maybe it makes you uncomfortable, too. See, according to this story, nothing that we own is ours. I mean, you may have worked hard for it. You may have saved up for it. You may have purchased it, but it's all God's, whatever we have in our life. And God has given us this incredible opportunity to use the little that we do have in this world, the little bit that we, that we might own, and, and the little bit of time that we have to grow his kingdom and to make an internal impact in the life of other people. So, what will you do? Will you just consume it all and have nothing to show for it in the next life? Or will you be shrewd Will you learn how to take advantage of hidden opportunities to gain friends in heaven? What's practical. What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. And when I read this parable, what was clear to me is that, yeah, the manager was shrewd in the sense that he leveraged everything that he had for his future here. But he waited till the end to do it. I mean, this guy waited to, like, the twilight of his career. He waited until the very last possible moment. And I feel like this story is telling us as Christians in big, huge, bold, marquee letters, don't wait Don't wait. I mean, you have been invited. Actually, you've been commanded in this story to use your entire lives, all of your days on this earth, to build God's kingdom, to leverage all of our possessions, to leverage all of our opportunities, to leverage all of our time to impact the lives of somebody else. And yet, we as Christians, we always seem to have some excuse. As to why we mm, can't right now. I, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, how many times have we caught ourselves saying something like, well, I'll be more generous with my time? You know, when I have more time, look, work's crazy, things are crazy. I'm swamped. But when I get more time, then I'll be able to give God more time, then I'll be able to give other people more time. You're waiting. You're postponing. The clock is ticking. And let's be honest, we're all friends here. We're we're all humans. Isn't it more likely that when you finally get more time, uh, you're just going to use it on ourselves? I mean, uh, gosh, I just need rest now. I just need a little me time. Maybe I'll go on a a vacation. It's the assumption, even with our time, that it's all for our consumption, that whatever comes to me is for me. We say things like, well, I'll be more generous with my money when I have more money. I mean, look at that guy over there. He's loaded. He's got a bank account. I mean, that's that's somebody that can do something in this world. I I have so little. I'll give back to God and and, and serve others when I have more. You're waiting. You're postponing. Clock is ticking according to the story. Let's be honest. (laughs) Isn't it more likely, based on our past history, that when we finally do get more, we'll just use it on ourselves? See, when we continue to live under the assumption that whatever comes to us is for us, generally speaking, we just use it on us. Jesus pulls back the curtain here. And he lets us know that God is watching to see what we will do with what we've been given. Whether it's our time, our talent, our treasure, our intellect, our everything. We got a short ride on this earth, folks. Don't wait. Don't wait to make an eternal investment. Start today. So that one day, when you enter heaven, you will be greeted by people who have met their Savior. Because you followed Jesus' command to use your little bit of time a little bit of opportunity and a little bit of stuff to make an eternal difference in their life. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for preserving this incredibly challenging parable for us. Lord, the truth is You have given us so much. Lord, even if it's by the world's standards, we might not have much at all. Oh God, because of your son Jesus, you have blessed us abundantly, even if it's just the air in our lungs and the beating of our heart. And I pray by the power of Jesus Christ that you would give us as Christians the ability to use everything that has been given to us that you have allowed us to manage for you in the short amount of time that we have on this earth. Help us to use it to serve you and to make an impact in the life of somebody else so that when we finally come face-to-face with you, Lord, somebody might come up to us and just say, I want to thank you. You don't realize what you did that day, but it changed my life and my eternity forever. Help us, God, to join in on that. Help us not to miss out on building something here that will last forever. Change us, God. Change the way that we see the world around us. Change the way that we see the blessings in our lives. Make us different, and help us to be a part of the change here. We ask all this in Jesus' name.
0: Whole world can see that there's something
1: different to so come and be different. I know that I am far from perfect, but through you, crossed and says
0: I'm worth it. So take this beat in my heart and come and finish what you started. When they see me, let
1: That is it for today. Um, Next week, we're wrapping up this series, Read Between the Lines. Um, And I'm just going to say this, give you a little preview. If you're somebody who has been praying about something for a long time, and you're not hearing anything from God. And you're ready to give up. Or you're wondering if God's even hearing it. Jesus tells us a parable that answers this question. I just want to invite you to come back next week because it's, it's just a great way to put a cap on this whole series. But until then, be safe, have fun, enjoy your Halloween, and take care. Bye-bye, guys.